resurrect. Jesus takes broken things and makes them brand new. Jesus takes things that seem to be done for and over with and gives them a new purpose and meaning and beauty. And we know this because of this story. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook for fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. He said, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Scripture declares that Jesus was shown to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And because he rose from the dead and so conquered sin, death, and the devil, we know that he can resurrect our lives, which are affected by sin, threatened by death, and subject even to the devil. The resurrection means that God takes broken things and makes them beautiful. And you were created for beautiful things. You were created for life. You were created for love. That is why God made you, for life and for love. The fact that you were created for love is evidenced by your deep desire for love. Desire is not a good enough word. It's evidenced by your need for love. Every human has a need to love and to be loved. Because God made you for that. God made you to live. He made you for life. That is evidenced by our disdain of death. Maybe disdain isn't even a strong enough word. That is evidenced by our fear of death. And the two of those... Love and life. Connecting the experience of the dying of someone that we love. I grew up in a house with a dog. And it was torture because I'm allergic to dogs. Violently allergic to dogs. Every morning I'd wake up and sneeze for the first half hour of the day. And my parents just thought, isn't that cute? He's a sneezy little guy. I wasn't sneezing, Mom. I was allergic to the golden retriever. And so because of that, I never wanted to be around dogs, never wanted to have dogs. But some, some time ago, my seven-year-old daughter, Daisy, beat cancer for the second time. And when she did that, I told her she could have anything in the world she wanted. She wanted a dog. I said, sweetheart, we'll start with a hamster. So we got our hamster. And the hamster ran away one day, never saw it again. So we went for the dog. We had the dog for a few weeks, and I was away on a trip in New York City, and my wife and kids were home, and they 
left to run to the store. They had just been playing with the dog, and they came home, and the dog was mysteriously lying dead in the yard. She's only about nine months old. We'd only had her for a few weeks. And my son, Isaiah, who's 11, was crying out to God, asking him to raise our dog, Sugar was her name, from the dead. Crying out to God. God, why? God, do a miracle. Raise Sugar from the dead. And I flew in from New York that night. When I landed, my phone was already going off with the news. And I got home and I was tucking little Daisy Love into bed. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Daddy, can you pray for a miracle? That when I wake up in the morning, sugar won't be dead anymore. I know God could raise her from the dead. Kids are cute. But I'd be a liar if I didn't say I uttered that prayer myself. You see, because creation wasn't made for death. We were made to live. We were created for life. And so we have a hard time with death. And and what we discover as we all face it is that death robs us of something, doesn't it? It robs us of love. It it robs us of relationship. It it robs us of that very thing that we were made for, life. And so because of that, Scripture calls death an enemy. It doesn't merely say that it's inevitable. It doesn't put it in the same class as taxes. It says that death is an enemy. Taxes maybe too, but that's a different sermon. (laughs) Scripture says that death is an enemy. And that God is a lover and God is the giver of life. Therefore, death that robs us of love and relationship and life is an enemy of God. You may have never thought of it that way. Death and all death is is an enemy of God, of human life. He even said, "I, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And every day in our world, both God and we are robbed by the effects of death. I'm not just talking about individual deaths, and I'm not talking about dogs anymore. I'm talking about the effects of death as experienced by humanity. And all that would lead to death, and the deeds of the death, and all that has the aroma of death in our world. Violence. Injustice. Oppression, the sort of genocide and mass murder that we read about and see on the news. Abject poverty, sickness, disease, unrighteous anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred. All of these things have the quality of, the flavor of, if you will, death. And all of these things, violence, oppression, uh, oppression, excuse me, injustice, anger, bitterness, wrath, unforgiveness, all of these things lead to death in one way or another. If it's a relationship, the death of a relationship, 
or some real physical death, the loss of a marriage, the demise of a culture, the ruin of a family, the breaking of connectivity between humans, well-being and hope, all of these things which I just mentioned have the aroma and lead to death in these things. And they are all the result of sin. I'm not saying necessarily individual sin. I'm not, when I mention sickness and disease, I'm not saying because you're sick or you have a disease, it's a result of sin necessarily. But it is for humanity as a whole. Millennia of sin for the human race has left us all broken. Each and every one of us are touched by, affected by, to some degree broken by the results of sin in the world. And all of creation suffers the effects of this. This comes to life when we think about Jesus and, and three special friends of his, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary and Martha were sisters and Lazarus was their brother. And Jesus was away in another city with some of his disciples and Mary and Martha sent a letter to Jesus saying, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus was supposed to know that that was Lazarus and somehow did. And Jesus delayed in coming back to where they lived. And by the time he got there, Lazarus was already dead. And Martha and Mary ran to the feet of Jesus and were weeping. And they're saying the sort of things that my kids said when our dog died. Jesus, you, you, you can do something about this. You could have done something about this. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And then it, an interesting thing took place. Jesus stood there outside the grave of Lazarus with the other mourners, and Jesus himself began to mourn. It says that Jesus wept. It's a single verse in the Bible, shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. He stood at the grave of this man who was his friend, and Jesus wept in that place. He entered into the pain of people for whom connectivity had been broken, amongst whom relationships had been torn apart, life had been taken from because of this thing called death. And with certain clarity, it seemed to be an enemy. When God, draped in humanity, Christ, stands outside of the tomb of a friend and he weeps. Jesus was there entering into the suffering of humanity, feeling what we feel in the face of these things called sin and death. And then Jesus... And an amazing display of power stood at the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he had to say his name, Lazarus, or every dead person in Israel would have come out of their grave that day. And Lazarus came walking out of the grave, still wrapped in the grave clothes. And Jesus did that for this reason, to demonstrate his power over death. And if Jesus is demonstrating his power over death, then Jesus is also demonstrating that he can do something about our sin. Because all death in humanity, the Bible declares, is a result of sin. 
to one degree or another. All of creation is touched by suffering and death because of all of humanity's sin and our culpability thereof. Jesus demonstrated his power over death and is showing to the world in that story that he's able to do something about sin. Romans 6.10 says of Jesus, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And Jesus said to the grieving sisters that day, listen to what he said, to those who were immediately touched by, touched by the effects of death. He said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said to them, do you believe this? To those ladies that day, do you believe this? He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And, and so, humanity hears that and says, wait, wait, wait a minute. Live even if I die? Okay, what, what's that about? Well, Jesus said, he who believes in me. What does it mean to believe then in Jesus? What, what was he referencing? Well, it doesn't mean just to believe that he was a historical figure. It doesn't even mean just to merely agree that he was the son of God or that he was a good man or that he was a prophet or some sort of savior. What Jesus is saying when he says, those who believe in me will live even if they die, is those who put all of their hope and trust in him and what he did for them, for us upon the cross. It means to agree with the fact wholeheartedly that we are those affected by sin because we ourselves sin. And that Jesus himself was without sin. And that God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross 2,000 years ago in our place for our sin. Therefore, paying the penalty for our sin, breaking the power of sin, and in some very real way, for all of eternity, removing the pain of sin. So that we, having been forgiven by God because Christ paid the price, having been set free from the tyranny of the devil because Christ defeated him on the cross, we can now have new life. And so what we do is we put all of our faith in Jesus and what he did there. And we say, my only hope for eternal life and to stand before God and for freedom from sin and his power and tyranny and this thing called death is to trust in Jesus. That's what Jesus was speaking of. When he said, anyone who believes in me will live even if he dies. Look at what Jesus said about believing in him in these things. He said in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, he said, when the dead will hear my voice the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. And so I want to ask you, are you listening 
to the voice of the Son of God. Such foolishness to come here today. You, you didn't come for the view. You didn't come for the tacos. Pork, by the way. We have some leftovers. You didn't come here for those things. You came here because there's something in you that has been deeply affected by sin and death. And you're hoping, you're praying that Jesus can save you from it. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond in a minute. Those who are dead will hear my voice and they will live. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not dead. Listen, you may not physically be dead yet. But the Bible declares that we are all, in a very real way, dead. Romans says, everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the results of sin is death. Not only physical death, not only ultimate death, what the Bible calls a second death, eternal separation from God, but immediate death. Being spiritually dead to God and being daily affected by the results of sin and death. We may not all be currently near to a real physical death, but we are all currently experiencing the quality of sin and death and the above list that I talked about. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Yes, that means life after death. That there will come a day where every single one of us will stand before God who is a righteous judge. You know that to be true. Everything in you wants to escape that fact. But there's something in you that is shouting in your most quiet moments, that someday you'll stand before God who is right about and knows everything. The Bible declares that every human will. And that the only way to endure on the day of judgment is to put your faith in Jesus Christ who was judged in your place on the cross that you might have life and life eternal. That's the only way. You say, well, there's got to be other ways. Well, listen... Who else in all of history predicted and pulled off their own resurrection from the dead? Who else has done that? Muhammad never did that. Buddha never did that. Confucius never said anything about that. Jesus is the only unique Savior of the whole world, and He proved it by His resurrection from the dead. And He is the only one who has ever offered to take your place in the place of death and pay the price for your sins. But it's not only that we have life after death. It's that we have a different quality of life right now. It was all in the present tense. You've already passed from death into life if you believe in Jesus. It's a current life that is no longer ruled by those things that reek of death. It's a new life, the Bible says. 
It's an abundant life where the power of sin is broken. Ephesians 2 says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Present tense, he gave us this new quality of life where we have forgiveness, where we experience the love of God, where meaning and purpose are restored to humanity. You see, because God is in the process of renewing all things. I know that things could look bleak today, but God is actually in the process of renewing all of creation. And let me just skip to the end of the book, the book of Revelation, second to last chapter, and tell you what it says. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is what God will ultimately do through Christ's work on the cross. And this is what God is currently doing in our world through our lives. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of our sins, we enter into his kingdom and we begin to live for a bigger purpose, for a truer thing, for a more wondrous beauty. The purposes of God in renewing all things and our lives become renewed. And we become agents of renewal. Where there's oppression, we bring freedom. Where there is bitterness, we bring forgiveness. Where there was malice, we bring reconciliation. Where there's suffering, we bring relief. We become God's agents of renewal in the world, living for a greater reality. <clears throat> Romans 6.4 says, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. No longer fearing death not ruled by sin, not tyrannized by the devil, but connected to the God who made you for life and for love. And 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ by putting their faith in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's what we're trying to get out with the video that we showed you. That through the resurrection Jesus takes old things and makes them brand new. He takes things that are unpurposed and makes them purposeful. Things that seem to be lacking meaning and done for and giving them me give them meaning and beauty. He does this by dealing with sin. He demonstrated that he can deal with our sins by his resurrection from the dead. Nobody has ever done that. Brothers and sisters and friends, this is a truth that I count on. I told you earlier that I got my family a dog because my daughter had beaten cancer twice. She was first diagnosed with a rare form of kidney cancer in September of 2009. Went through about eight months of treatment. Within six weeks, she relapsed, had another tumor in July of 2010. This last Thursday, she was diagnosed with another cancerous tumor. 
and what I count on and the fight for my daughter's life is that what Jesus said is true. That he is the resurrection and the life. And all who believe in him will live even if they die. The reason that we can face cancer three times with my daughter is because we believe that Jesus is bigger and better than sin and death and all of its effects. But we join with so many in humanity who have seen suffering and realize it to be the effects of sin in our world that are able then to say, I hate sin. I was having dinner with my father last night and we were talking about these things and with tears in his eyes, thinking of his granddaughter, he said, I hate sin. And if sin is so painful for us, and if we then hate it so much, imagine how much a God who is more righteous than we could ever imagine, more loving and compassionate and caring than we could ever imagine, feels about sin. See, God hates sin. There's no way around that. I won't make you feel good about your sin today. He hates sin. He hates mine. He hates yours. But he loves you. And so he gave his son to die on the cross in your place that you might not bear the weight and penalty and pain of your sin alone, but that Jesus takes it for us so that we might have eternal life and new life right now. But what we have to understand is that sin is the issue. And so we've got to deal with sin. You haven't come here today to play games. You've come here today to deal with sin. And the only way to deal with sin is to take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. It was nailed there by God in His love. But you've got to be willing to repent and come to Him. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I want you to think about Christ's resurrection from the dead. There's nothing in antiquity that would ever prove that Christ didn't rise from the dead. Yes, it was long ago, but its effects are certainly clear. No one's ever produced a body, and I can't show you the risen Lord in this moment if there's something you need to see, but I can let you hear about a lot of changed lives Anyone here been changed and saved by Jesus? And so you know Jesus is the Savior of the world. And He wants to save you today. So this is your moment. I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. To get up out of your chair and come forward right here. Many of you. And come to Jesus right here making a public profession of faith in Him. Where this power of sin will be broken. Where the penalty of it will be dealt with. Where the pain will be met in the God who enters into our pain.
where you can receive a new quality of life. So we're going to sing this great old hymn that you all know, Amazing Grace, because it is. And this is your chance. Jesus is drawing you today. You might have to ask one of your friends that you came with, hey, you want to go? I'll go with you. Kids, you might want to grab your mom and dad. Mom and dad, you might be caring about your kids right now. But if you know you need Jesus, this is your moment to get up and come on down. They're already coming. The band's going to play. You come right now. Amen.